Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here this morning, Father, as we go into your word. Uh, Lord, just come and begin to speak to us. Let your word come and transform us. Let it uh, go deep into our hearts. Let it become alive within us. We welcome you this morning, Lord. We just pray this in Jesus' name. I don't know if many of you have noticed this, but in the last three or four months, I've dropped about 15 pounds. Um, and here's the interesting thing about it. Uh, shortly after COVID, in 20, we had COVID in 2020, I put on a bunch of weight and I couldn't get it off. I did all kinds of things. I dieted, I tried to exercise it. It wouldn't come off. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and figured this must be what happens when you get into your 50s and weight comes on and it just doesn't come off and so the, the funny thing is, I didn't, I didn't know that I lost the weight until quite recently. I started noticing that, that things started fitting a little better, and I was feeling a little better about myself. And then I got on a scale, and lo and behold, I was 15 pounds lower than I was in January. And I was in shock, in a good way. I was in shock in a good way. And I started to think about what I did. I didn't go on like this crazy diet. I didn't like start, you know, join the gym or start an exercise routine. Instead, what I realized is that over the last four months, because of situations in our life, uh, we changed the way we ate and, and the activities we were doing. Uh, Cindy started a new job, which completely changed um, our schedules, and, and we found ourselves you know, eating at home more often and cooking meals instead of like running around and grabbing McDonald's before, you know, when she got off of work and I got off of work and then come here, just grab McDonald's real quick before we do something, and we found time to eat at home. And then, you know, I, 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 AYSO soccer was in desperate need for referees, and so I volunteered. And I'm not, like, running up and down the fields, but I'm walking around the fields in a meandering kind of way. And all of that together somehow um, caused me to end up in slightly better health. And, and what's interesting is, is we all kind of know this stuff. Our health is funny that way. You know, being healthy always seems to have this balance. We need to find a balance in our life of exercise and diet and sleep and managing stress and all this other stuff. And if we put this balance into our life, we all know that somehow, some way, uh, we, we start to feel better. Our body starts to work better. Reminds me of an old car I had once uh, when Cindy and I were dating. I was driving and my car was really jumping and not working well. And I couldn't figure out why. And I took it to a mechanic and he said, oh, one of your spark plug wires was cut. So I wasn't running on all cylinders. And that's what life in many ways is like that for us. If we don't have a balance, if we don't have rhythm in our life, we find ourselves not running on all cylinders. Thank you, Siri. Wow. Hold on. See, we didn't have that announcement. Now, it's, it's easy to talk about these things. It's easy to step back and say, you know, I need to have balance in my life, I need to eat healthy, I need to do all this. But for many of us, we have no idea how to do that. We struggle with that. And so we run to one thing and to another thing and all this other stuff. What's interesting is that our walk with Jesus is the exact same way. You know, many of us come to Jesus with this sense of excitement, this sense of, of awe. We want to see, we, we've had some experience uh, with the Holy Spirit, or we had some experience in Christ, and we want to kind of dig in deeper. But then all of a sudden we discover as the years go on, our faith gets stagnant, it gets cold, the excitement that we once had 
begins to go away. There's a parable that Jesus tells that many of us know, the parable of the sower, where he talks about the different seeds that, he spread, that are spread across the road. You know, some go on, a, on the road and they're trampled by, uh, by traffic. Some go amongst the rocks and they, and they can't grow because they can't get good ground. Some go amongst the thorns and they're, they're, they're choked out. And then some go in good, in good ground. And in many ways, we look at our lives and we realize that those are our images of our lives. We see there's, there's, there's so much going on. The stresses of the world begin to choke our faith. The, the busyness begins to, to cause us to move in different directions. And, and then we look at our faith, we look at our, 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 our walk, and we begin to wonder, uh, something is missing. We look at other people's faith, other people's Christian walk, and we see them flourishing, and we're not. And we don't know why. We struggle. We wonder, why am I not flourishing like them? What is missing in my life? Why aren't I experiencing life? This morning, we opened up uh, with the reading from Pentecost Sunday. And, and you know, knee-jerk reaction is Joe's going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But I really sense the Lord is moving us to something else. At the end of, of Acts chapter 2, it, it's really interesting because the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is that picture of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit begins to pour out on the church. Uh, Peter gets up, he preaches to the masses, and, and 3,000 people get saved. And we look at that and we go, wow, that's what we need. But after that happens, something happens to the church. They fall into something, kind of like a rhythm. And we see this uh, at the end of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42. Luke writes, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this is the early church, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Many of us have heard this passage. We know this passage. This is the Acts 2 church that we all dream about. If you're, if you're a pastor, if you've been in the church a while, this is like, you know, this is circled. This is what we're supposed to do. So if we did this, life would be good. But we treat that passage kind of like having good physical health. It's something we want. We know that some things probably need to change to get there, but we're really not sure what to do about it. We've been struggling as a, as a leadership team in this church for the last, struggling is the wrong word, we've been wrestling with for the last six months or so about what church should look like coming out of COVID. We realized that, that COVID stripped us. And so we would need to replant, start again. And the question was, what would this church look like at that time? What would be a part of it? And as we went through it, we started you know, coming up with the different programs we want to start and things we want to do, and a lot of that will be kicking off in the next couple of months. Many of it will be kicking off in the fall. But we realized that we needed something in the church. We needed a rhythm. 
We needed something that defined the community, how we lived together, how we did this together. And so we'd been wrestling with this, and we'd been looking at other churches and ready to borrow their things and rebrand it for us and all this stuff. And then this epiphany happened. About 12 years ago, um, the Lord gave us a gift as a church that we completely there were a group of us, we were up uh, at, a, at a retreat, praying about what to do with the church, kind of like now, and we were driving back in the retreat, we all drove in one vehicle, we were in this van, and all of us were jammed together in the van, it was about a two and a half, three hour drive, and we were talking, and we were talking, and I remember exactly where we were on the road, where this light bulb went off on everybody in the van. And we had this epiphany of what life could look like, of what the church, how we could communicate to the church discipleship and what it could look like. We implemented it. And then life happened in this church. We went through a series of tremendous difficulties. We lost our building. We lost most of the congregation because we lost our building. And we ended up stripping everything away, and this kind of went to the garbage. We had this epiphany that maybe this is what the Lord gave us, and maybe this is something for today. And it came down to four simple words. Meet, grow, give, go. We call them MG3. We were trying to be hip, you know, because you need that hip thing. Something you can brand, you know. But there was a rhythm in Rhythm that created a healthy and flourishing walk with Jesus. A rhythm that we believed and we still believe can create an Acts 2 kind of church. So over the next four weeks or so, we're going to unpack these four words a bit. But today we're going to start with the first word, meet. Our journey with Jesus has to begin somewhere. And that somewhere is actually where we meet Jesus. John 12 has a really interesting verse in it. A uh, set of verses, John 12, starting in verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, one of the apostles, who was from Bethesda in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. The New Living says, sir, we would like to meet Jesus. And, and that's kind of the key for how this all starts. For many of us, our faith is something that we inherited from our family. It's something we've picked up along the way. Our parents did it, our grandparents did it, so we do it. It becomes kind of cultural. I don't know if you know this about me, but I was adopted. My parents were Polish, both sides of my family, heavily Polish. So we did a lot of Polish things. We ate Polish food. We did Polish traditions. We picked up Polish culture. And along the way, I picked those things up. I still enjoy uh, Polish food. For my birthday, we used to go into the city so I could go to this restaurant where I could get gawumpki and I could get pierogi and all this other stuff. But the thing is, I really don't know if I'm Polish or not. I don't know my ethnicity. My daughter wants me to take one of those DNA tests and find out. I just really don't care. But I don't know if I am. It's just something I kind of picked up along the way. It's my parents' ethnicity. It's their culture. And I just kind of adopted it into my own. But it's not necessarily real. I don't have this, 
this incredible drawing to go back to the old country. Because in my mind, there really is no old country. There's just what's here. And the thing is, for many of us, our faith can be the exact same way as well. We grow up with it. We learn the customs. We learn the words. We learn the secret handshake. We learn all about the culture of our faith. But none of that makes us Christian. None of that. Following Jesus is what actually makes us Christian. So the first step in any piece of discipleship begins with that, actually meeting Jesus. We live in a culture where, where people are culturally Christian, but their faith isn't there at all. They did this fascinating survey where all of a sudden there's this tremendous increase in the amount of people who call themselves evangelicals. But they don't believe in being born again. But they're being evangelicals because politically there's an, there's an understanding for what being evangelicals are. So politically they're evangelical, but spiritually they're not. This is the world we live in right now. So the first step begins with meeting Jesus. And what we're, some of the things we're going to put out in the future, we're, we're going to make sure that they're there. We're going to always have opportunities in our Sunday service, but we're also going to do other things. Alpha's coming back. I haven't shared that with a lot of people yet, but Alpha's coming back one way or another next fall. Uh, we're about to roll out some discipleship groups that we've talked about. Some of these are going to be kicking off in the next couple of weeks as we learn how to do this. But it's with this entire idea that people have this opportunity to actually meet Jesus. But, but meeting doesn't just stop there. It just doesn't end with meeting with Jesus. We're called to meet with Jesus regularly. Jesus uses this interesting image to describe what our lives are supposed to look like. And it's in John chapter 15. Jesus says this starting in verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As followers of Jesus, our source has to come from Jesus. Every aspect of our life has to come from Jesus. And if we're not connected to that source, we're going to wither up die. My kids were little. They decided they wanted to plant, one of my kids at least, wanted to plant plants. And so they grabbed this stick that they found lying around and they put it in the ground. And the hope was that the stick one day would sprout and become a tree. And you know what? It didn't. It didn't. 
the way a tree becomes a tree is it has roots that go into the ground that pulls up life out of the ground. It gets water. It's a living thing. The way our faith happens, it doesn't just get planted in a church and hope for the best. It goes deep into the things of God. It goes deep into a relationship with Jesus. And a lot of this happens in very personal, very behind the scenes, very quiet places. Not very public places. Meeting with Jesus means that we are connected with Him regularly and that we are allowing Him to pour His life into our life. David gives us this incredible picture of what that looks like in Psalm 63. He says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek You. I thirst for You. My whole being longs for You in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen You in the sanctuary and beheld Your power and glory because Your love is better than life. My lips will glorify You. I will praise You as long as I live. And in Your name I will lift up my I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you throughout watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill, uh, kill me will be destroyed. They will go down the depths, or to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. There are three images that are buried in this psalm that we really need to, to grasp. The, the first image comes in verse 1. We need to seek God. You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst after you. My whole being longs for Sometimes I think, you know, in the vineyard we talk about we're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we live our life in such a way where we have this idea where we're just going to sit and wait for God to show up. I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to wait for God to show up. And then we get mad because he doesn't show up. Because we didn't have the experience that we were hoping to experience. But what's interesting is if we begin to move towards God, if we begin to move towards Jesus, he runs towards us. He's waiting for us to move towards Him, to seek Him out. In the parable of, of, of the prodigal son, the picture isn't the father going after the son and dragging him out of all the troubles he's having. The picture is the father looking for the son, and as the son moves towards him, the father runs towards the son. As we meet with Jesus, it requires us to meet with Him, to move towards Him, to seek Him. So this, this is a decision that we make. We decide we want this. We don't hope it happens. We don't wait for some, some you know, spiritual moment to occur, some picture of nirvana to come over us. It's us moving towards Him. Now, we meet Him in different places. In verse 2 to 5, give us one imagery of where we can meet Him. I've seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. We can meet Jesus here. And we should meet Jesus here in church. There's something important about corporate worship. When we come together, we begin to experience the presence. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, I am with them. And so this is important. 
Showing up is important. But sometimes we think this is all it is. If I give God two hours, or if Joe's nice, an hour and 15 minutes, then that's all I need for the week. We're good. We're good. But David gives a even deeper picture. Verse 6. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wing. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is a picture of prayer that he's describing. This is a picture of that quiet place where he's not corporately meeting with God, with Jesus in a church setting. This is him in the middle of the night as he's, as he's remembering Jesus, as he's pressing towards him, as he's singing, uh, singing towards him, as he's praying to him. Meeting with Jesus is extremely personal. And so we need to make time for that to occur. As we begin to move towards Him, we need to make time for Him. I have a morning ritual. Every morning I get up. I get up, I pull out a one-year Bible. I know it's hokey, but I have a one-year Bible. So it's a Bible that's broken up by days. I sit down in the morning and I read today's Scripture. Yesterday's Scripture was Pentecost. I kind of and timed out well. But it works its way through the entirety of Scripture. I get it all done in one time. And then I take time and I just listen. Kind of like what we do here after worship where we're just waiting on the Lord. I listen, I take time, I pray. I don't make a big deal about it. Usually the house is asleep because I'm the guy who wakes up early. It's just a normal ritual for me every morning. There are other things I do throughout the day, but that one always happens. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. And this is foundational. And things like this need to be foundational in everything we do. Remember what Jesus said, if you abide in me, then you will bear fruit. The fruit that comes out of our lives, be it spiritual fruit or, or even natural fruit, or physical fruit. It all comes from our relationship with him. If we're not investing in that, if we're not spending one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus, then the other areas of our life are going to begin to suffer. They're going to begin to collapse. Now, I realize that as I go through these four areas over the next couple of weeks, it's going to cause some stress and anxiety for people. We hear about what we should be doing, and it can feel overwhelming at times. Several years ago, I was invited to a, I don't know, conference, teaching, class, with this, this guy from Oregon, Baptist preacher who's really into prayer. He was teaching us on the importance of having a prayer routine in our lives and how we got to do it. Then he got up there and he goes, I, my calendar, I, I block off four to six hour segment where all I do is pray straight, four to six hours a day. And I sat there in the room going, how in the world do you find four to six hours in one lump sum that you can do something like that? There's no way. Especially at the time, we had younger kids, and so, you know, running errands, running kids here and there, second job, this, this, this. I looked at him, he was an older guy, and I'm thinking, this must be retirement. This must be what retirement's all about, having six hours to hang out with God. And I, and I, and I was getting really depressed, because he was talking about these wonderful experiences he's having with God, and I was looking at it thinking, there's no way 
I can't go tomorrow and tell Cindy, hey, I love you, but for the next six hours, you deal with the kids. I'm going to close the door and just commune with God. It's not, it wasn't realistic. But then he said something interesting. What he said is we, we shouldn't try to emulate what he did or what he does. It took him years to get there. Instead, he challenged us to start exactly where we were and begin moving in those directions. So, you, you don't pray at all. I mean, you don't have to tell me this, but look at your life and you realize, you know, I, I don't pray much. Well, try five minutes. Try a minute when you get up. Try a couple minutes. You don't know what to say? There are all kinds of prayer books out there right now. We normally don't look at that stuff in the evangelical church, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. Start with five minutes. Talk to God. Say the Our Father a couple of times. See what happens. Then after a while... See if you can push it to 10. Maybe push it to 15. Not in your Bible? Well, you know, I'm a broken record. Go get a one-year Bible. That's the easiest thing. Go find a Bible plan. But take two minutes. Read, read a paragraph a day. See if you can move that to a chapter. Bible chapters aren't that long. They're not like, you know, novels. See if you can expand it a bit. See if you can get to five chapters a day. Five to seven chapters a day of just reading the Bible, not studying the Bible, just reading it. And God will do incredible things in your life. He will open up things that you've never seen in Scripture before. If you read five to seven chapters a day, just in their context. Start where you're at, take baby steps, and then begin to move more. See, one of the things that we get into is we start comparing ourselves to what others are doing. We look at other people and say, wow, look at that man or woman of God. That's incredible. I could never do that. And so we never do it. But here's the thing. This isn't a competition. Jesus isn't looking for who, which one of us can read the most scripture or which, which one of us can pray the loudest or the longest. This isn't a competition. This is a relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so as you move towards Jesus, He will meet you right where you are. As you you meet Him, and He meets you, He'll build a foundation on which not only your faith will grow, but your entire life. As we're going through these four, we, we came to the conclusion, actually Jeff did, let me give Jeff credit on this one, that each one of these four has a question with a time period. And meat is a daily thing. So here's the question. Well, first, have you met Jesus? And if you haven't met Jesus, and you want to meet Jesus, then when the service is over, come up. We want to pray for you. We want to introduce him to you. For everyone else, how are you meeting Jesus today? What are you doing today to meet Jesus? 
And as that grows, other things grow as well. Let's pray.